Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. So, Trish, you know I've been doing all this spring cleaning after we had the lovely Dilly Carter on the show. Oh, yes. We've both been hard at it, haven't we? Clearing out the clutter. I've come across quite a collection of stuff in the loft. And it's it's stuff that's sort of a bit broken that I actually thought had gone off. Right. I'd instructed Mr. Candy to, you know, this stuff has to go, not stay in the loft. We had a little bit of a -a tete-a-tete, contretemps about it. And he said he's going to put it all uh, in the back of the car and take Mm. it to a car boot sale that happens on the first Sunday of every month. Okay. And I said, you said that a year ago, (laughs) and I thought it was all gradually going. So it moved from a -a tete-a-tete into kind of a full-blown, what the hell is all this stuff doing in the loft? And then he looked crestfallen, Trish. He said, the thing is, you aren't supporting me in this, and I feel incredibly let down by you around the car boot sale and organising it. I feel unsupported and unloved around this car boot sale. It sounds like he's been listening to our podcasts and using some of the language and terminology (laughs) that we might say (laughs) and advise and have experts to advise. I'm thinking fair play to James. He just wants a little morning at the car boot sale, doesn't he? You know what will happen at the car boot sale, don't you? He will come back with more stuff. Oh, more stuff, yeah, of course. Than he takes. More junk. And I'll have to kill him. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Lorraine Candy. And I'm Trish Halpin. If you're living in a hormonal hothouse, feeling a bit overwhelmed and in need of some positive, uplifting and comforting guidance on how to lead a more magnificent midlife, then this is the show for you. We chat to celebrities and experts on all things midlife, from menopause and perimenopause to parenting teens via fashion, beauty, wellness, nutrition, fitness, careers, relationships, caring for elderly relatives and your finances. Yes, we ask experts and famous guests all the questions you need answered to have a happier, healthier and more harmonious second act. Before we dive in to our new episode, Trish, I feel I'm welcoming you back to England because you've mm-hmm. been on a little jaunt off up to sunny Scotland, haven't you? Is that where Sky is? I mean, I don't know where Sky. I don't know where anything <laughs> is in the world. Is it at the top? Top and left. Yeah. Yes, we went to Sky. Wanted to go there for forever and ever and ever, and it didn't disappoint. And we had sunshine. Apparently, they'd had seven months of rain, <laughs> and we got we got the sunshine. The sun was shining on us. Did yeah. a bit of cold water swimming. Ate lots of food. Walked the dog got quite chapped lips from all the wind so although it was sunny quite windy kissing all the scotchmen (laughs) i just thought of mel gibson kissing the scotsman oh oh the blue paint yes covered in blue paint i am as well yeah i don't know what that says about me well i Mm. missed you oh did my nemesis our podcat furry margot miss you because it's always very difficult when the staff go away (laughs) isn't it trish (laughs) Is she well? The good news is she didn't squirt anywhere because often we get a little squirt. Well, you probably don't want to know this, do you? 
distressed cats. I don't think anyone wants to know no, this. Okay. There was no whiffs or squirts anywhere, so that, that was a good sign. Oh she obviously God. liked the person coming in to feed her. I would like to be inside the mind of Margot. Mm. <laughs> anyway, while you were away on your wee trip, uh, as I like to call it, I was busy doing stuff. I was watching Colin from Accounts, which is so brilliant. Yes. Yes, I've been nagging my teenage son to uh, revise for his GCSEs. Mm. And I was also, this was hideous, recording uh, my new book, which is out in May, um, on audio. So oh. going into a studio to do that. And let me tell you, it's more gruelling than a Bush Tucker trial on Imus and Ebb. Bizarrely, don't know why. Were you mangling your words? Well, it was worse. Mangling. <laughs> it was mangling and it takes three days to do a book over 200 pages. I thought it would take oh half God. a day, but I was wrong. And did you sort of think, who's written this nonsense? Why am I reading this? You feel very self-conscious <laughs> and it feels silly. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Anyway, you lot better buy it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Anyway, I would rather eat beetroot. Trish oh. do that again and you know what I feel about beetroot don't you I do indeed well you would cross the road to avoid it mm. it's very good because you've been holding the fort together haven't you getting ready for our two-day live show on the 19th and 20th of May we can't go to London's business design center for postcards from midlife live unprepared because you know I like to be prepared up to a year in advance for many things <laughs> <laughs> you like to plan your lavatory visits about two days in advance, don't you? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Don't worry, because I'm all over it, Trish, like a rash. It's um, it's something of a military operation yes. now. <laughs> and if anyone listening wants to come, then you can still get tickets. Just go to postcardsfrommidlifelive.co.uk. Um, and we're going to be talking a bit about it today with our guest, aren't we? Yes, we are, because this episode is a bit of a careers special which is a big focus of the live show too. Um, as we know, this is a time of life where many of you are rethinking your jobs. Maybe you want to go part-time. You might be going back to work full-time after a break. You might want to be trying something completely new or even setting up your own business. So today we'll be chatting to Hero Brown about changes and reinventions because she set up a successful website, Muddy Stilettos, after leaving City Life and her career as a magazine journalist to live in the country with her family. Now, won't come as a surprise. <laughs> we know Hero because she's yeah. from the magazine world. I've actually known her for many years um, and she has such an interesting story because as well as sharing what she's learned about starting your own business, she's going to be telling us about how she's coped with loss and grief since the tragic death of her lovely husband, Paul, two years ago. So yeah, we get quite emotional, this chat, but I think we'll have lots of practical and supportive advice for you all, which is, of course, what this podcast is all about. That's what we're here for, Trish. Free advice for everybody. Um, and after talking to Hero, we're going to be exploring the whole idea of change and transformation in midlife and careers in our How to Win at Midlife section when we tackle Everything about careers, changing them, supercharging them, maybe even walking away from them, a bit like we did, Trish. Mm -hmm. um, we've got an actual expert and we're going to be sharing guidance from the many inspiring women that we meet during our own personal career journey. Yes, and I will be bringing news of an exciting careers initiative for midlife women being launched at our live show on the 19th of May. Um, all of that's coming up shortly. I think, though, we should get into a few of the brain fog bloopers on the Facebook group because we are in episode two and we haven't done any yet. So no bloopers. Has anybody called the podcast police? We we're getting it all wrong. <laughs> anyway, that was a bit Alan Partridge, I think, wasn't it? I didn't want to go that way. 
We went full Joan and Jerrica with the squirting, Trish. So oh, yeah, that's I, I true. I feel like Alan Partridge is a relief, quite honestly. <laughs> anyway, what have you got for me on the brain fog charts? So this one, uh, the first one, it's more of a brain fog invention, uh, really. Like so it. Jenny said on the group that she is going to invent a coat with Velcro on the outside and she's going to attach Velcro to all my shopping bags so that when I go <laughs> shopping, I can stick the bags to my coat so I won't forget them in the flipping shop that I was last in might not be the best look but hey I'll get home with all of my shopping with me for once <laughs> always doing that leaving things yeah. in different shops such a nightmare and then um, Emma sort of added to that and she said she would like to invent the velcro magnet menopause suit with magnets like that you it. program the moment you decide to go and get something so that when you walk in a room and have no clue what you went in there for, the said object flies across the room and attaches itself to you. I quite oh. like this idea. Would either of those appeal to a fashionista like you, Lorraine? Would you wear the Velcro suit or the magnet suit? I think I might be accidentally wearing one of those magnet suits that makes me a magnet for morons and idiots. <laughs> I'm surrounded by them this week and demanding teens. People asking me the stupidest questions. I don't know whether oh. I've got it written on my phone. I think that's where my magnets are. Patience and tolerance are your middle don't names. Don't have any of that, yes. Trish. <laughs> anyway, there were more bloopers. These ones weren't quite so funny and we shouldn't really be laughing at them. But these are the symptoms yes. of perimenopause. Mm. This loss of memory, this neurological breakdown, lack of estrogen, um, happens to so, so many women. Poor Jeanette, she posted, We were burgled on Monday night. We were in the house and asleep, although I was woken up by the noise. It turns out I'd left my keys in the lock outside. Very sad, because many of you replied saying you'd done exactly the same thing, uh, which we've all done. Oh, I've done Trish, it. I did it when I was pregnant. I did it twice mm. when I was pregnant. Once we just left, I just left it outside and another time there was a knock at the door and I opened it and the man said if you give me 20 quid I'll give you your keys oh, back that's awful that's threatening did you give him the 20 quid I just burst into tears and said oh, oh come on and he just sort of threw them at me and ran what off I know but it's the hormones isn't it yeah it's totally. the hormonal yes. thing yes exactly and um Donna added that she did the same thing, but thankfully my neighbour spotted the keys. Then I left my purse in my bike basket at the front of my house. Bike and purse were still there the next morning. Lucky escape for Donna. And Caroline says, before HRT some years back, I took the dog out for an hour walk and came back to find my front door wide open. It's mad, isn't it? So mm. if you want to know, hormone replacement therapy does really, really help with yes. the brain fog because it puts the estrogen back. But in terms of brain fog help, lovely Yvonne posted a link to a meditation um, that she had created, especially for brain fog. She says, at the start of my perimenopause journey, my brain fog got so bad that I would sit down to do my work and sometimes I couldn't even move the mouse on my computer, literally paralyzed. And I was so, so hard on myself. I think that's a problem, isn't it? We get very unkind yeah. when these things happen. Anyway, she says, I have created free meditations for perimenopause and menopause. It's my way of giving back in the only way I can by using my 18 years of teaching this practice. I did actually try her meditation and it's just really lovely because she's got a lovely, soothing, Scottish sounding voice. 
You can find these meditations on YouTube if you search endopause. And there are also links and posts from Yvonne on the Facebook group. I think that's really, really helpful and lovely. When I did the talk, which I did last night with Dr. Louise Newson, a lady in the audience said that her brain fog was so bad that last week she'd resigned from her job because she couldn't do it anymore and she was just ashamed and embarrassed of her behaviour. I mean, we had quite a long chat about how to support her, but it it can get really, really awful. So do try everything you can because you don't want to lose that confidence. It undermines quite a lot of other parts of your life, really. And thank you, Yvonne. I'm going to try your endopause. Uh, You're just one of the many kind women on our private Facebook group in there supporting each other. It's completely free to join. You just answer three questions. Trish lets you in. And all those lovely women, that army of midlife women, are there to help you. Yes. And now it's time to meet our special guest. Many of us in midlife dream of stepping out of city life or starting a new venture that follows our passions. And today's interview guest, Hero Brown, has done both of those. Now, I've actually known Hero for 20 years since we worked together at Red Magazine, and I was an early follower of her website, Muddy Stilettos, which she started single-handedly after her move from London to the countryside and has since turned into a digital publishing success. In fact, 10 years on, she now employs more than 50 staff, many of whom are working mums and midlifers on second careers. Now 52, Hero's mission at Muddy Stilettos is to bring the brand's 1.2 million monthly users the very best of culture, fashion, food and well-being wherever they live in the UK, from Cornwall to Cambridgeshire, Dorset to Derbyshire. And she joins us today for our Midlife Career Special to share the lessons and pitfalls she's learned about starting your own business, as well as her personal story of raising her three children aged 14, 16 and 20, who she is now single parenting after the sudden loss of her beloved husband Paul in 2021. She says, I always had a belief that Muddy would become a success, even when I was working for nothing for two years. There were times when I could have given up, but I'm very stubborn. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Hero. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very pleased to be here. Knowing you from our days at Red Magazine all the way, way back, um, (laughs) you always had so many brilliant ideas and energy. So I'm not at all surprised that you have made such a success of Muddy Stilettos. At what point did you know that you'd hit on a great idea? I thought it was a great idea right from the off, I suppose. I got I got this really weird tingly feeling and uh, and I occasionally still get it if I think, oh, yeah, no, that's going to work. I kind of get quite excited. And yeah, it was almost a eureka moment, I have to say. I kind of had been talking to my husband about, uh, it was quite hard. I'd moved out of London. I was in Buckinghamshire with a young child and trying to find stuff to do. I knew there was some amazing stuff, but just couldn't quite work out where to find it. It wasn't being written about in the local papers. It wasn't in the local glossies. And I just suddenly thought, like most journalists, you know, you just think, I'll go and search it out myself then. And and then I thought, well, and I know people who are in the area who are like me, and they might want to know that as well. And as soon as you think that as a journalist, don't you, as you know, you just kind of think, oh, I'll just go and create that then. And um, and so I did. I literally sort of dropped everything, not the child, but um, through the child, uh, my husband basically, and um, went through and started, yeah, started a WordPress site on the spot, really. Kind of listing all the kind of yeah. places that you as a kind of 
Gen X woman wanted to discover in your local county? Yes, I mean, it was it was really about, if you kind of think it's where you live, isn't it? It's about everything about your lifestyle. So it could be like a lovely pub or it could be, you know, you wanted to know about a great school, if anyone had got some, you know, there was some advice or a lovely walk or, you know, it could be anything, a romantic, you know, restaurant for that kind of one moment in the month where you might actually have your husband to yourself. You know, I was interested in all of those different elements and uh, and that's still what the lifeblood of Muddy is. So it's where, you know, wherever you live, it's how to make the very best of, you know, that kind of 360 lifestyle. So, yeah, I just kind of started thinking about, I was just thinking, I was trying to remember what my first feature was. And I think it might have been a bit of a roundup of a couple of pubs that I'd thought were particularly good. I thought that was quite helpful. And I remember always mostly writing after a couple of drinks. So I was just kind of amusing myself, <laughs> amusing myself <laughs> in my writing. <laughs> I quite sort of giggled to myself on the sofa whilst EastEnders was in the background and was sort of writing for myself as much as anyone else, I think. I had the kind of the tingle that I thought it might take just because I was so excited about it and felt like I really needed it. It's instinct, isn't it? It's a kind of instinctive thing and following that instinct based on your experience. But you must have faced some challenges because it's been successful, but it's a business um, as well. So what were the kind of big challenges that you faced in the early days? Yeah, uh, well, I suppose the most obvious one at the time, and it's probably not one that exists now, but it was when I, it was a blog initially, Muddy Stilettos, before it kind of became bigger. And so I was trying to explain to people outside London, you know, blogs, you know, they were everywhere in London. It didn't seem like there were that many out where we were at the time. And I kept saying, oh, you've got to read my blog. And everyone was just looking at me like, really, like, oh, what is that? And do I care? Yeah, I was boring a lot how? of women. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically boring a lot of women at the um, at baby groups, that's for sure. That was one problem that sort of over time, I guess, just as it got bigger and, and people were talking about it was solved. But for people starting now, um, I mean, I started with no marketing budget. That obviously makes it harder i mean it makes it it's a longer journey isn't it so you kind of if you've got marketing you can tell people about it they're clicking on it they like it etc you know it took me much longer to be able to monetize it because obviously i started from a readership of one which was obviously me amusing myself and um so that would have been really helpful so maybe you know if you were starting out from scratch it can be a good thing but i think conversely it really made me think very hard about getting a readership and doing a good job and being quite sort of agile, uh, you know, mm. not just spending lots of money on stuff because you've got, a, you know, someone's given you £5,000. And I suppose the other thing that I really didn't have a lot of, in fact, that's an understatement. I had no business experience at all. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a writer. I'm a journalist. And that's what I know. So for me, that was a massive learning curve because... I mean, I didn't even know what a profit and loss sheet was, you know, till 2019 when I suddenly started getting bigger. I didn't have an accountant. I had all these counties and it was just becoming unwieldy. Mm. So I think a lot of people, um, you know, it'd be good for them to have a little bit of training or like to really sort of uh, think that element through. I mean, again, you know, you can you can sort of push through it. And if you're smart, you suddenly realize that you've got a massive gap in your knowledge and you've got to fill it. Yeah, having an accountant is always a good thing, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, were there any other kind of uh, resources or organisations that you found helpful when you were starting out? I mean, things like getting funding. I mean, did you have to get funding? Where do you even go to get funding? At what point would you consider funding in, in your expansion? Yeah, um, well, I didn't. But I think, again, like when you because I knew my business was, you, you can't get any money or do anything 
without any readers, you know. And I think my when I was starting, I was just thinking, oh, I'm just going to give it a crack and see what happens, you know. But with an idea that I was taking it very seriously, I happened to be at home with young children. So I had some time on my hands to be able to just sort of have a play. But if it's a, you know, if it's a massive change of direction or you're, you maybe you do need to, um, you know, take it more. I don't mean take it more seriously in the sense that I didn't take it seriously, but be more thoughtful more hours, in your yeah. planning. Mm-hmm. I did get a couple of grants, so I've been quite proactive on the grant front. Mm-hmm. And so um, a really good place, I think, to try is always just the government site. I think it's like finance and support for your business or something like that. And it basically lists all of the grants that are available in the UK um, for you. So it's what, like for me, I was it was a um, Buckinghamshire business first, which was our kind of and then there was one in Oxfordshire as well. So those kind of regional grants can be really useful. And of course, actually, I didn't pursue it and and maybe I maybe they didn't exist or maybe I didn't think it through at the time because obviously when I started it was just me but now with this business of mostly well you know we're women um but if you're a female-led business then there's actually quite a lot of help out there and maybe like joining women in business um would be a good idea and just getting that kind of sisterhood thing going because you know we're all in the same boat and you know women are you know we like to help each other don't we well, you've done incredibly well. You employ 50 women now. But can we talk about confidence? Because in midlife, you know, and you employ uh, women who are working part time because they're parenting and some embarking on second careers. But in midlife, a lot of women have a bit of a wobble around confidence. And, you know, they look at their CV and they say, well, it just doesn't fit to that. I wouldn't be considered with it. And I know you've obviously in employing all these women and working with all these women, you must have learned a lot about how to overcome that confidence wobble, as it were. What thoughts have you got around that for people listening? If it's about confidence, then I would just say, don't worry about it. You know, you've got, there's plenty of, plenty of roles. There's plenty of bosses who are not just looking like, you know, sort of scribbling through your CV and then chucking it on the pile. I mean, I look at CVs, of course we all do. And it depends on the job, obviously. For me, it's about personality. It's about fit within the organization, which is something that I really underestimated in the early days. But, you know, you really have to. There's something about someone who's got a lot of get up and go and is willing to show change. Like I've employed people before who, you know, real and massive midlife changes. So a really sort of successful TV producer who um, was at the BBC for like many, many years, stopped, moved out, had children, totally lost confidence, didn't want to go back into that role because it's all consuming and you just, just didn't want to, you know, it was kind of an either or sort of situation. And so she sort of retrained, did a course in social media and came on board with this as an editorial assistant in her late 40s. And, you know, there were lots of people who were applying for that job, but I just thought, well, you've got something, haven't you, if you're, you know, you've yeah. got the balls yeah. to go and do that, you know, and, and decide on something different. And, and also showing the willing, you know, that you're willing to learn. Yeah, don't worry about it. And the, you know, the worst that can happen is someone says no, but I think it's much worse not to try. But don't overthink it, really. That's it. I'm saying that to Trish all the time. <laughs> don't <laughs> overthink it, little Trish. <laughs> don't overthink it. I just think, you know, it's, t- it's embracing change. I'm never, I've never been scared of it. I think maybe in 10 years I will reinvent myself again and do something really different. I think it's, that's what's exciting. And, you know, I lost my husband two years ago, and I think it really focuses your mind mm-hmm. on what makes you happy. And 
what you want to do with your life. Like it's, life is short. You don't want to kind of waste it. Sort of, you know, you won't get up at 65 and you think, why yeah. did I stay with that? I could have mm-hmm. tried something different, you know, and you have that lovely hindsight of thinking, what did it all matter anyway? Middle-aged women are amazing. It's not, we're not in middle-aged. It's like we're in our twenties. Yeah. <laughs> well, the other area that you uh, have that really speaks to that is the Muddy Awards, isn't it? Because these are um, awards that you launched to champion the most exciting and original creative independent businesses in the countryside and a lot of the nominees and winners are midlife women themselves aren't they so they are starting businesses so can you tell us about some of those and who are the ones that have kind of maybe really impressed you yeah well I mean there's so many to be honest with you I mean there's 75,000 businesses last year entered it'll be bigger this year so it's absolutely massive but I think the one thing is because we are championing lifestyle businesses and they're ones that don't always get the light of day it might be like your you know local beauty salon it might be a fantastic local producer you know, a lot of these are started by women, aren't they? You know, once they've got children and they're, they're, they've sort of moved away from their careers or they're looking for something to stimulate them. That's kind of how it happens. So just naturally, we do get a lot of these fantastic female entrepreneurs sort of coming coming to us and, and in the areas that we're in. But there's lo- so I don't know. I mean, it feels quite, it's like children, isn't it? What are your favourite children? But <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, if I gave you an example, there's a fantastic um, in Oxfordshire called Nettlebread Creamery. And actually, the owner of that was an actress. She was a sort of a, a good actress as well. Um, but she sort of moved into the area. She t- took over her, I think it was her great grandfather's farm and um, with her husband and started making organic milk. And it sort of went from there. It's become very successful. And then she opened um, a Nettlebed Creamery, it's called, but it's called the Cheese Shed. If you imagine just an outdoor barn, with, but it's all very sort of you know, chicly done with kind of fairy lighting and amazing local produce. And there's lovely walks nearby. And she's created this amazing cafe and and business sort of organic experience and, you know, out of being a jobbing London actress. So it's amazing, really. There's some great stories amongst all the winners and the past winners, aren't there? Now, you do work from home and I'm looking at you now in that very beautiful open plan Gorgeous modern furniture, garden, lovely um, in the countryside. But so you've been doing this a lot longer than since the pandemic. So you know about the boundaries between working from home and living in your home. So if you've got any advice from people who for people who want to start their businesses, going to have to do it at home because that's the cheapest way to do it, isn't it? How do you draw those boundaries? I tend to sort of try and do something between the end of the day and the beginning of the evening that gets me out of the house. What are your thoughts on it? So that's a good idea. I mean, I'm probably, I probably don't take my own advice as much as I should. The one thing I have learned to do, so I've got an office in my garden, but I'm too lazy to walk across my lawn, you know, when it's cold. <laughs> it's cold in the morning and I just, oh. So I've, yeah, so I sit, I'm at, my house is, is very open plan. So quite often if I'm on a call, you know, one of my children might, uh, my son might walk through you know, in his underpants or something. So, so actually it's, um, yeah, the open planness is a problem. But the one thing I do too, so before I start working, I always go for a walk and that kind of is like, okay, this is my time. And then when I come and sit down, then I sort of set everything up and, you know, my day starts. And then at six o'clock, it all goes away. I remembered after a while. You, you physically know, you pack it away. Is that what you're saying? I do, yeah. because otherwise, you know, I'm, I'm cooking dinner and I'm looking at my work seat I'm looking at my workstation in effect yeah and it's just you never then switch off you might just go and have a quick look at your computer or you know there's got to be that switch between work and home definitely so that's the one thing that I do and then I try obviously in my situation I then cook a meal for the kids we sit together and then 
we all do our own thing and then we go and do something together. We like, we would choose a box set or something and we watch that. So for me, I really do try to, I might do a little bit of fiddling around on the computer when I'm doing that, but most of the time it's kind of strict, you know, work and then home, which is sort of working quite well, I think. I mean, you've worked in, you know, high profile, stressful jobs in journalism in the past. How does it compare stress wise? I mean, owning your own business. I mean, I can't even begin to imagine it's possibly the most exciting thing, but are the stress levels any higher than doing a kind of regular job? God, yes, they probably are, I'm, mm-hmm. if I'm honest. But also you just get, you, I think you, if you're going to do your own business, you have to accept that you're going to think about it quite a lot of the time, even when you don't want to. I've thought about it a lot, actually. I think I ha- I'm the sort of person who quite likes doing my own thing. I like being my own boss and I like to take time off when I want to. And, all, you know, so you've got a lot of pluses on that one side. And I think the other, you know, the other side of that, the flip is that you do have to you know, hold that pressure, particularly as a, as a business gets bigger and you've got, you know, you have to pay staff and look after them and, you know, make sure that they're okay, then there's a lot of responsibility. But I'd never, I quite often think, what happens if Muddy, you know, it all died tomorrow and I had, I had to go and get a job in a, you know, back in a glossy or something. And I, I, I don't like that thought very no. much. <laughs> we don't either. <laughs> I like doing like, well, you guys are exactly the same, you know, yeah. it's... Um, yeah, no doubt there's lots of pressures, but they're worth it, I think. So you've mentioned it already and you've talked about your family. Two years ago, you lost your husband, Paul, and it was very unexpected and very sudden. For anyone listening, because this is, you know, obviously in midlife, we, we do start to, we have living losses and we do lose people around us. What's been the learning curve from, for you um, on that? If you, you feel comfortable talking us through what happened and, and what you've learned that we can maybe pass on to other women going through a similar situation? Yeah, for sure. So, well, I mean, it was sudden. It wasn't a COVID death. It was a, it was a heart attack, totally out of the blue. So, you know, massive shock, obviously, to, to me and the children. got three children and been with Sherm actually since I was 24. So actually, it's sort of been my whole adult life. Mm. And I, I feel like mm. it's been my whole adult life, really. I don't know what, what you learn. I think, well, I think I sort of touched on it before in a way, but, you know, you learn what's important. I think. I think a lot of us go through life just sort of sleepwalking. When something like that happens, you do have to really seriously recalibrate and actually be grateful as well. I mean, I know that sounds really weird. You know, people often ask me how I am. Quite often I just say, and I'm, I mean, obviously uh, it's tragic and you never get over it in some ways, but also I feel very fortunate. I think, I don't mean that glibly. I mean, that's something where you actually have to think, well, I'm still here. Uh, you know, I'm going to see my children marry and have children. And, you know, I've got amazing friends who care about me. Mm. So look for the positives, really. How did you look after yourself kind of physically and mentally? Because that's, I mean, I guess at the same time, you're in that slight perimenopause storm as well. So there's a lot going on for a woman in midlife when something this extraordinary happens, isn't there? How, How do you look after yourself physically and mentally? Well, I think the walk in the morning is just the mm. absolute sort of I have to do that. Um, that's just my time to talk to actually talk to my husband. It's literally I don't look at my phone. I'm I'm just sort of enjoying nature. I think you kind of have to know how your own day works and how your body works, don't you? For me, if I don't do something first thing before I get stuck into muddy, you can forget it because by the time six or seven comes, I'm absolutely knackered and. Um, and, you know, I'm never going to go out and, and do something really super athletic. So 
mornings are my thing. And I kind of, you know, I've, I've spent quite a lot of time. I'm saying yes to, to trips away. I try to avoid things that make me sad. Like, you know, the stuff that you yeah. quite enjoy doing with, with partners, like, which might be making a nice coffee and sitting out in the garden together and reading the papers, which we used to like doing. I don't like to do that because it's a reminder. So instead I'll, you know, I'll mow the garden or I'll do something active. I'll, I'll just, just change the focus a little bit. And then I think the other thing is I sort of lean into the grief sometimes. And then a lot of the time I will put it in a box because I just feel like if I lean into it too much, it's overwhelming and nothing else gets done. And there's a lot to do. You know, I'm the sole breadwinner. I've got to look after the children. I'm still young. You know, what ish? <laughs> you know, I've got a life to lead. So I think it's just about trying to, you know, have that balance. So I go and I have counseling, but not too much. And I do it every six weeks. And that for me is quite a good balance because it's enough time that the counsellor and me can sort of understand what I felt at a certain point and where I've got to from there. It's almost more useful to me in a way than something every week where you might feel high one week or low another. Mm. It gives you a little bit more of an accurate picture of where you are. And then you can kind of, you know, move on from there as well. How have you um, coped with your children? How have you, how has this journey been? Because it's different for everyone, isn't it? It is different and it all depends on your relationships, doesn't it? And I'm, yeah. I mean, obviously I can't talk for them, but you know, I think we're, we're close. You know, we're, I get on well with my kids and that really helped. The schools were amazing. So the two youngest ones were still at school and they got counselling, you know, within days. And so they had that for a good year, um, which really helped. I think it massively helped. And, um, and it was great for me because I knew that they had someone external that they could talk to. And then... Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that I try to do is just talk about Paul, I call him Sherm, you know, very naturally. Like we, we can laugh. We, we, we laugh about, not, well, not about him. Well, sometimes we laugh about him, you know, like any family, you know, the jokes he yeah. used to share or whatever. And we remember him and it's very relaxed. I like to talk about him. You never want to be in that situation where people feel that they just have to bottle in their own memories, you know. So I, and I think that's really important when friends come around as well or, you know, I like to talk about him and I, I think it puts them at ease because then they understand, oh, it's okay to, mm. it's okay to remember that time. And, and actually that's what keeps them alive, isn't it, when they're gone? And what else was helpful for you? Because I think we, we will all find ourselves in this position with friends, with family members, et cetera, where we're trying to support someone going through this. What was helpful for you from your friends or your colleagues and extended family? Oh, my God. I mean, it was amazing. uh, The kindness was just extraordinary, you know, from people that you didn't really hadn't seen in years, you know, would just come around with food. They didn't. And they they were like, oh, I don't want to just, you know, don't want to disturb you. You know, they they weren't there to sort of rubberneck your grief. They really just wanted to sort of help. Mm -hmm. So that was really lovely. Uh, The wake, I can't even remember the wake, really, you know, in terms of like the setup. My friends just all came over and organized it for me. Um, so there was all of that. I mean, I suppose if I was saying what people should do, I think uh, you should mark it. And I've probably been guilty of this myself, I think, in the past where you're like, it's awkward, isn't it, to ask somebody what to say to someone, I'm really sorry, how are you? Because you think that they might not want to talk about it. They don't want to sort of open, you know, such a sort of painful subject. But actually, I think the opposite is true. I think it's much worse not to mark it. Mm-hmm. Then suddenly you're like, well, don't you even care enough about the person who's lost, not about you, but the person who's lost to sort of say that you're sorry that they're not there. That would be my one suggestion for people mm-hmm. to just 
don't feel awkward. It's much better. And it could be done in, a, you know, it can be done on an email, can't it? Mm-hmm. Or a letter or, as you say, like a little ready meal. Or I mean, some, some people brought me gin, which was very welcome. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Not a gin. Smart a ones. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very warm April. And those little things just make all the difference. And then friends just, you know, they're, they're just amazing, aren't they? And my, my best friend came up from Cardiff for a week, you know, just dropped everything. And my brother-in-law flew over and stayed for a month, which was just incredible. So make the effort, I suppose I'd say. And, and you'll be pleased that you did because you'll see the reaction. Mm-hmm. And do you ask people for help? Because that's one of the um, enduring factors of Generation X women is they're pretty capable and they don't really think they should ask anyone for help about anything because they can do it themselves. <laughs> But you must have had to ask for help. You must have had to. I mean, you've always been very capable here, but you must have had to say, I actually need help now. I'm going to step back a bit from the business. I need some. What what advice have you got on asking people for help? Because I know we're so reticent to do it as women. I know we are, aren't we? It was given. I think that's maybe people knew me quite well. And were just like, don't worry about that. We'll do the lawn or, you know, and, and actually from a work situation, I'm really fortunate um, you know, I have 50 women putting their arms around me, basically, you know, <laughs> a lot of them are mothers and a really fantastic team who just basically, you know, chucked me out of the business for the month and just said, don't even think about it. Luckily, I, you know, because they're so capable, I just, I literally did that. I just sort of closed myself off. But I suppose now, do I ask for help? I think I delegate more and I'm not so hard on myself. I don't know. Maybe I don't, maybe I don't ask for as much help as I should even now. Ask for more. Ask for more. No, that's bad, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's really odd. People go through, we hear of people going through extraordinary situations and they say, and then I sorted it all out and you feel like saying, but didn't you, why didn't you ask someone to help you with that? <laughs> no, I, I remember feeling really proud of myself and I, there was a, one of my blinds fell off and you know in the, when the blinds have got the roller thing and yeah. the, all of the sort of dangly bit fell off it and I was just like oh yeah god you know this is very generalization but you know I would have said to Sherm oh could you just have a look at that and I mm. anyway so I sort of googled it I went through it took me about three hours I, I should have just got somebody down the road to come and fix it so this is a case in point but then I did actually feel really proud of myself because mm. obviously if anyone else has a dangly bit fall off a you know a roller blind oh. I don't know I know how to fix it. <laughs> oh, oh, that's brilliant. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's really lovely to hear you talking positively about your future and being able to see a future. And obviously, you know, you're only two years into sort of losing Sherm. But how do you see this next stage of Muddy Stilettos? What's happening? Is there more development? Is it going to get bigger? How are you feeling about that? Always ambitious for Muddy, always mm-hmm. getting bigger. And obviously, I mean, it's, you know, of course, when, when Sherm dies, it became more important because mm-hmm. it's how I feed my children and, you know, live my life. So, um, but I'm just really passionate about it. So it's always on the grow. We've got um, Yorkshire starting and Cheshire in September. And then I'm hopefully moving over to Wales for um, 2024, which is where I'm from. Mm -hmm. And um, so it grows sort of geographically all the time. We did put out actually um, an April Fool called Sandy Stilettos. Uh, to start in Australia, where we, oh, I we saw did actually, that. We did suck quite a few people in. I which believed like, it. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was a great idea. Somebody else will do it if you don't. <laughs> I know. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, so that's all going on. I mean, there's yeah, there's loads and loads of ideas. We're just we're mm. in the our awards at the moment, so that's all consuming. But once that kind of um, ends, then we'll we'll start doing other bits and bobs. But yeah, there's there's lots lots of ideas. And you're coming to postcards from Midlife Live, aren't you? Which is rather I, exciting. I'm so excited I to know. see that. Amazing! Congratulations! That's an amazing idea. Oh, Try not to think about it at the minute, but you are going to be on, it's so big. You are going to be on stage and you're going to be interviewing uh, Louise Minchin for us, the BBC presenter who's a former guest of Postcards from Midlife. And she's written a brilliant book about being a fearless woman, interviewed loads of fearless women. Um, what are you looking forward to and what do you think you can find out? What advice do you think you're going to get from Louise? Well, I'm a bit of a girl fan for Louise Minchin. I think she's, you know, ever since she was on she's the a news. Team GB athlete. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's that's incredible, isn't it? As I'm yeah, really interested. In her 50s. To, I mean, guess she's like a, you know, she's a poster girl for pivoting, isn't she? So I just want to look under her bonnet, really, and just kind of work out how she's, you know, what it is about her. Because obviously she's really lovely as well. She's down to earth, isn't she? She's, you feel like, I mean, I've, I've not met her yet, but, you know, she seems like she's just got a really good heart. And yet she's got this amazing drive. And, you know, I'd really love to, know how she sort of motivates herself you know there must be times when she doesn't want to get up at you know yeah. five in the morning to swim two miles I'm really hoping she's going to tell me how I can kind of move from like walking in my morning to like more of a trot <laughs> if I can if I can kind of move she's into good a on that yeah <laughs> she's just into a marathon run. hasn't she I think again with her yeah. daughter I think this time She'll have you trotting, hero, in no time at all. <laughs> well, you sound been... very ambitious, does it? <laughs> You've been super helpful, hero, and it's been really moving to hear your story. And that, and the success of Muddy is just so impressive. Thank you so much, hero, for coming on the show um, and oh, telling thank us you for all having about me, honestly. your story. It's so lovely to see you, as always, and we'll be seeing sure. you very shortly as well at Postcards from Midlife yeah. Live. Yes, I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, see you there. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. So here we are. We're at our how to win section of the show. Um, very useful advice coming up. It's our kind of public service bit of the show. We are going to be tackling careers and midlife careers specifically. Now, there is loads of career advice happening for you if you want to come and see us at Postcards from Midlife Live next weekend. Um, if you're thinking of a change, then we have a careers lounge and that will be the place to be. There's advice, there'll be networking, there'll be tips on coaching and all the sessions are part of your general entry ticket. I mean, you could supercharge your career in one weekend, yes. couldn't you? In one day, one day. One day even, yes. Mm -hmm. So book at Postcards from Midlife Live. Dot co dot uk 
Yes, we've got some really amazing career experts and speakers and uh, panels and talks. Um, can I give you a little few highlights there, Lorraine? Would you like some? Do it. Do it. Right. So we have Aviva Wittenberg-Cox, who is a writer, coach and consultant who works with major organisations on the future of work, talent and demographic trends. Now, she writes for the Harvard Business Review, Forbes. She does lots of TEDx talks and has a book called Why Women Mean Business. And her talk is all about the midlife rethink. We also have Ang Harrod Boyson from a brilliant organization called Women Returners, um, which is all about unleashing your career potential when returning from a career break. And we have a brilliant panel with Helen Tupper from Amazing If, um, who's the author of the Squiggly Careers book, Katie Waldegrave from Now and Claire Hawkins from the Phoenix Group, which is an insurance company. And we are partnering with them. This is very exciting. Do you want to do a drum roll? Ba, ba, ba. <laughs> More of a xylophone, maybe, or a a little tooting horn than a drum roll, but that will do. I like people to do that before I come into a room, if that's all right, Trish, from now on. Is that what we're going to be doing at the show? Whenever you walk anywhere, that will be going on on the tannoy. Right, anyway, we're going to be partnering with Phoenix Group um, to launch the Midlife Careers Coalition at the show. So this is all about normalising mid and later life career changes. Um, This is about helping midlife women switch careers um, to stay in work longer because we're all going to have to do that, I'm afraid. So we all want to be doing something that we'd like to do. But also importantly, it's about getting businesses valuing, recruiting and investing in older midlife workers and widening their talent pools, um, which I think they're not doing enough of. Yeah. And it's also for the women who took the break to have the babies and stay at home and and look after families, which is, you know, as hard as being um, at work. And also we know, don't we, Trish, that the over 50s is the largest growing group of employees in the country. So a coalition, launching a coalition has been on my to-do list for um, some time. I know. It's good, isn't it? Yes. I should have mentioned actually that Rachel Schofield, the lovely Rachel Schofield, is going to be there, who you're going to tell us about, because she's relevant to this episode. Yes. So our How to Win is kind of a transform, change, rethink your career in midlife. So I um, spoke to Rachel about this because I thought we need the advice. Now, she has just written a book, which is just out. It's called The Career Change Guide, Five Steps to Finding Your Dream Job. Now, It's very sweet, this book, because there's an acknowledgement in the back and she acknowledges that she was on Postcard from Midlife. So you must listen to that. And uh, an agent from Penguin Books was listening and thought, that's a good idea. Let's get a book out of that. So inadvertently, we've launched another career in a different way. Look at us. Look at us. I, um, I said, we're going to be tackling this on the podcast, Rachel. What advice have you got for us? What are the things that we should be thinking about if we want to change, supercharge, look at our careers in midlife? And she said, you've got to ask yourself five questions. So the Mm -hmm. first of these questions is what three words would you use to describe how you currently feel about your work, which I think is fascinating. So she's saying really that it's an audit of what you're doing. And you've got to find words that are not just sort of overarching big words. I mean, things like fulfilled or exhausting or unchallenging are a little bit meaningless. You've got to get really specific to find out what each of the words means to you and what's going on underneath the words. So Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of what I would say at the moment that it's stressy. 
what we do, but un- what's going on underneath is not the stress, is the my ability to organise it is the thing that's happening. So it makes you enough time. When I started to do this, I thought, oh, I, I see what's going on here. It's not the job is stressing at the minute. It's it's me and how I organise it. So mm-hmm. those three words and then what's going on underneath and then bounce yourself forward in time and find three words that would describe your ideal work. So that's a very curious and open-minded thing. So if you say variety in in your ideal work, exactly what does that look like? So what would you have achieved? What would be different for you? And she says that impact is a word she hears a lot from her clients and it just keeps coming up and up. And what does impact mean? Does it mean sales figures? Does it mean helping? Does it mean fighting injustice? Be really specific Mm -hmm. about it. Um, And the more you can define what is and isn't working, that's a clearer picture of who you are and where you want to focus your attention. And once you've worked that out, you can focus on what actions will bring that change about. So it's it's interesting, isn't it? What would Mm. your three words be? Oh, at the moment, I think my three words would be brave, because what we're doing is totally out of my comfort zone. We just have to trust in this, don't we? Because we're not employed. We're doing this for ourselves. We're kind of hustling and trying to get. So I think that's quite brave. I'm feeling brave about what we're doing. You're talking about the live, not the podcast, aren't you? Well, I'm talking about all of it, really. (laughs) Yeah, no, yeah. No, the podcast is fine, yeah, but brave in terms of what we're trying to do with ourselves. And then enjoyable, because it's lots of fun working with you. It's stressy sometimes with the diary management, but we get there, we get there. And then I think my last word would be surprising, because I think I'm surprising myself with this journey, and I'm surprising... The things that come up are surprising, like what you've just explained about Rachel and and how yeah. she got this book deal out of what we're doing. So that's really it's amazing, yeah, amazing, isn't it? We like that. We had said we wanted to help people, and I think you know, concrete evidence that we are helping people, and in turn, that person is helping other yes. women is great. Yes. One of the words I put down actually was um, creativity. Oh yes, because I I have it's come up again and again in lots of chats I've had with women over mm. forty. This sense of, you know, you know, you've got to hit your sales targets, you've got to be a success, but actually where's the creativity in that? And the mm-hmm. way to find creativity is to stop sometimes, mm-hmm. to do nothing, to let the space be there so that you can think of creatively what you might enjoy. And also that sort of, I put fun, but I think I meant playful. I just would oh, quite like yes. things in future to be playful. I mean, they've obviously got to be a success because we have to make money, we have to support our families, et cetera, et cetera. But playful, I think is a really good midlife mm. word. So there we are with those three words. You all think of yours. Those are the three words. So shall I go on to Rachel's yeah. next piece of advice or things to ask yourself, which is how have your goals, ambitions, and what's important to you changed mm. over time? Because we're all quite you know, far down the line in our careers. It's a good point to take stock, isn't it? So this is all about getting clear on what really Um, drives you before you start making any shift because it can have a huge bearing on the pathway that you choose it's all about choices isn't it and where you go um it requires honesty whether you're going you know you need to be kind of honest with yourself about is what i really want a big salary the luxury holidays all of that or is it more about giving back following the passion creating change in your local community um, and it's that thing about the definition of success, yeah. because what success meant to me 10 years ago is probably not what it means to me now. So it's um, it's kind of being honest and non-judgmental. It's a judgment-free zone, this process, I think, isn't it? Marion-free place. <laughs> 
Yes, marrying free. Your alter ego, judgy Marion. Yeah, and it's about can you do this without thinking about other people's expectations? Of course, you have to kind of maybe consider your, you know, familial commitments and things. But if you can do it without worrying about what other people think of you, um, I think that's kind of really good. And she's talked about setting coordinates for a place you don't really want to go to will end in a pretty miserable journey. I think that's true. I mean, I, I think that setting coordinates is really interesting. And, and also, um, I interviewed a lot of women about this for the book. And one woman told me an amazing story. She had in her head, I'm going to go traveling with my husband. We're going to retire. We're going together. On the day that the suitcases were in the hall, her Mm -hmm. children are all grown up and everything, she realized it absolutely wasn't what she wanted to do in midlife at all. She didn't, as she's put it, she said she didn't want to go around the world looking at temples. The whole thought of it horrified her. So what she did was say, I'm not going. Mm -hmm. She started to adopt and foster puppies from her local (laughs) dog home. But she also retrained as a therapist so yeah. that she could work pro bono for people and families. She worked in a community where there was a lot of need for it. Yes. So what she thought in her head, the 10-year plan that had been her goals, she hadn't really been honest about. She'd been no. slightly lying to herself. And she'd probably been saving towards that. And yeah, they had the tickets. Really, they had the tickets. They were, you know, she's got the money, she's ready to go. And actually she was like, no, I'd rather. It wasn't her goal. She wasn't listening to yeah. the inner voice. I mean, it's like Rachel said, if you override that inner voice... You know, and if you don't have that honest conversation with all the people around you, particularly the person that you're going to retire Mm -hmm. with, then it it can be a pretty miserable journey. One of the other things uh, that Rachel said is is this question that you need to ask yourself um, as you're doing it. And I'm doing this on a kind of daily basis Mm -hmm. now. (laughs) What energizes you and what drains you? I think that's really important. Sometimes work and the way you approach it can be very energizing in terms of I'm so busy I'm so busy but actually sometimes at the end of the day I'm so exhausted I look back Mm -hmm. and think actually I didn't really enjoy any of that I'm just slightly addicted to the manicness of it which is a very old way of being it's my previous career way of being she said keep a log of your work also your home life and your hobbies for a whole week Chart the activities that energize you and you want to do more of, but notice the tasks and responsibilities that drain you, which you would like to minimize or even say no to. And then you have to start thinking, once you've got that week's diary in front of you, what does this information mean to me? I think it's really important, that bit. It is. I think for for me, though, what what I kind of come to a realization is that it can't all be nice and that the hard difficult bits of work are also fulfilling. So so I just have to be careful not to think, oh, I just don't want to do that because it just really annoys me. But actually, when you do the difficult thing or the hard thing, you can get real fulfillment for that. Because I can often sort of think, oh, that's so problematic or so difficult and I've got to sort that out. I really don't want to do it. We only did the nice stuff. Would we really grow and stretch ourselves? I would say no, but it's about the draining stuff, isn't it? Or or actually your attitude to doing the stuff you don't want to do. So it kind of drains me when I think, oh my goodness, I've got to sit down and yeah, I've got to write a two and a half thousand word piece for blah, 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 blah. And then I think, you know, I'll just do it and I'll get on with it. But what I'll do is I'll change my attitude to yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> won't. the thing. I'll get myself a nice cup of coffee and I'll get a cake to have at the end of it and I'll just completely change my... But there are some things that I mm-hmm. do and keep doing that I think, you know, actually I just... 
I'm sure you get this and I think a lot of women in midlife get this. A lot of people around you will say, can you just help me with this or can I get some advice on this? And sometimes mm-hmm. you said yo yes to about five of those requests in a week. Yeah. And it's quite draining because you just keep giving bits of yes. yourself to people. And now I've learned to say, I'm not able to do that this week or that's not something I can help with, but maybe you can look here, et cetera, et cetera. I think, you know, it's interesting. That actually leads us nicely to question four, because Rachel's fourth question to ask yourself is, who do you need on your support team? Because it is about the people around you, isn't it? And other people can play a kind of crucial role in your career shift. So who can you ask for help with your career goals? What conversations do you need to have maybe with your partner? with other people in your life that this might have an effect on. So if, you're, if you've got caring responsibilities, et cetera. And who are your cheerleaders? I love the idea. You're my cheerleader, Lorraine. Like having cheerleaders, encouragers. So it's the, um, the radiators, isn't it? Who are the radiators in your life? And absolutely don't consult the trainers because they will, they won't have anything good to say about it. And then also it's obviously the practical support that you might need in terms of any kind of career shift. So who can help you with that as well? Yeah, and your network. Who's in your network? I wrote down a whole list. I think we both did, didn't we, when we set Mm. up this podcast? A whole list of women that we knew through our lives, in our careers, who might be able to help us go forward um, on the podcast. This brings up something we've had before. So when we interviewed the therapist, Julia Samuel, she told us about the shitty committee, didn't she? The voice Mm. in your head that tells you you are rubbish. So the last question you ask is, what beliefs are you holding about yourself or your situation that are getting in the way of what you really want to do? Because inside, sometimes we tell ourselves stories that are not true. We talk about feelings as if they're facts. We might say we feel powerless, but that's not a fact. You might not be powerless. So it's about really tackling the limiting beliefs that you carry by establishing the real evidence around what's going on and just not accepting that view of your inner critic. And that leads to all sorts of things, doesn't it? Imposter syndrome, all these kind of things. So move forward and deal with reality not imagination and emotion, which I think is the most sensible piece of advice. And I say it all the time to everybody. So this has been the advice you would get if you um, had booked a top career coach, because Rachel Schofield is a top career coach. That's advice from her. And as we mentioned, she is going to be at Postcards from Midlife Live, along with lots of other very fabulous careers people. So do come along uh, and meet them. Or you can listen to Rachel's interview with us, actually, um, which is in our archives. Brilliant. Um, I wish I'd known all this, Trish, when I had that full-time stressful full-time job and I'm also yes. thinking about what will Trish and Lorraine be doing in five oh years my time goodness. after I've trained as an astronaut obviously we will have our own tv show and possibly be running our own radio station I feel if you'd like to get in touch with Lorraine and I there are plenty of ways that you can do it why not send us an email at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com or direct message us at postcardsfrommidlife on Instagram. We always enjoy hearing from you, our lovely listeners, and we'll respond to as many of your queries as we can. And you can also join us on our private Facebook group, which is a forum for women to discuss the issues that affect us as we navigate this midlife. All you have to do to join is answer three of young Trish's questions to gain access to the group, where you'll find information and friendly support to help you make the most of your second act. I'm going to do another ba 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 because we Ooh. are 
at Nostalgia Noodle Trish. So I'm having a little mm. conversation the other day. I'm going back into party time in the 90s. Nice. I'm having a little conversation with my eldest, who's nearly 21, and she's saying, ecstatic, she's got tickets to Printworks. And I say, I don't know what that is. Don't, don't, don't know, know what, what you're talking is. about. It's a massive fabric-style super club that, okay. in London, and they've had to, I don't know, get up in the middle of the night and queue on some phone line to get these tickets. It's absolutely massive. And she's like, I can't believe it. I can't believe you don't know what it is. And I said, oh, that looks really exhausting. I said, you're going to need um, you're going to need a disco nap before you go to that. Mm. And she just looked at me and said, what do you mean a disco nap? What are you talking about now? And I said, it's, it's a thing you do before you go clubbing. You have a little, you know, you get to about six o'clock and you think I'll have a little bit of a disco nap now before I go discoing. And then I'll be able to get up and go out at sort of 10 o'clock at night because you know, who goes out at 10 o'clock at night? She'd never heard the word disco nap, Trish. And I was remembering all those getting ready evenings in the 90s where you have your Ooh. disco nap, then yes. you have a bit of a cocktail. And then you do a playlist, put your tape recorder on, yeah. you get your friends around or you go to their house and you don't get ready on your own and just appear at a club. You've, it's, a, it's a group activity, isn't it? Well, I think they don't need the disco naps because they have all these energy drinks, don't they? And they just download those when they do their pre's, as it's called, the yeah. pre-drinks. They don't do cocktails, they do energy drinks mixed in <laughs> something alcoholic and it keeps them going. But... um. I was trying to think of the names of some clubs because obviously the print works is probably somewhere we've been in our careers where they were printing. I'm like, it's probably literally an old print Imagine that. printing place. And I was thinking, I can't remember the names of the London clubs I went to, but the ones that I went to when I was at uni in Brighton, we had the Escape Club. That okay. was brilliant. Yeah. The Gloucester and the Zap, which was in the arches under the on the seafront <laughs> under the... Loved those, loved those. I used to go to um, Strawberry Sunday, which was under the oh, arches at one. Vauxhall. Okay. I feel like that might have been a gay club. Uh, and also, we all went to heaven, didn't we? We all went to heaven. Oh, yes, that's true. Yes, heaven. Remember that one. That was in Charing Cross. And what was the one in Brixton that we used to go to? The Fridge. Oh, The Fridge. Yes, yeah. Podium Dancers. That yes. was a good one. Yeah, and there was The Grand in Clapham down your down your way. Oh, that's down there. They still go down there. They're still there yeah. queuing outside. Yeah. It's quite exciting. But I had some very um, – I had clubbing trousers. They were sort of <laughs> quite silver in the 90s, quite silvery spray-on. How did you deal with the – Leathery ones. The band around the middle touching your skin? Because I know you're very sensitive about that. Oh, I know exactly. That's true. You're right. I don't I, I don't think I even wore vests then. So maybe the sensitivity came on later. Probably got a rash from the trousers. Let's not think about that. Let's not think about that. No. Thank you all for listening to this episode. We do hope you found it useful and enlightening. And um, yes, we hope we will see you next weekend at Postcards from Midlife Live. Thank you for being members of our Facebook group. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram or you can email us at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.